there is a blessing when somebody, for example, survives a car accident. Survives a car accident. And there is a blessing to pray. He wants to say Thanksgiving. You know, in biblical times, he used to bring a Thanksgiving sacrifice to the temple. Just to say thank you. There is a prayer in the book of Psalms. It starts with Mizmor le Toda, a song of Thanksgiving. Now it's perfect timing. It's Thanksgiving next week. The holy Jewish holiday, Thanksgiving. The, the most favored Jewish holiday. Then Thanksgiving is a very strong part of Judaism. You survived an accident, a terrible sickness. You want to thank God. What do you do in today's world? Yeah, that there is a blessing charity. to recite. Give, huh? Give charity. Now you're talking business. That's, that's number one, absolutely. Give charity. Prayers is number two. <laughs> no, I mean, there is, a pray, there is a blessing that you say. The blessing is a very interesting blessing. You say to God, thank you for giving me blessing, for giving... Benefits. Close the door, please, then. Then, thank you. Thank you for, for giving blessings, beneficence, the way it's, where it's written, for those who are guilty. You say, thank you for making me a miracle, even I'm guilty. I don't des- even I don't deserve it. Very interesting way of putting things. Usually you don't say it like this. You say, thank you for bread, thank you for this. You say, thank you. Thank you for a miracle is included in saying thank you for giving the miracle to somebody who doesn't deserve it, to somebody who is guilty for, who didn't pay you back, who didn't, who didn't do what he's supposed to do. For somebody who is not deserving it, let's put it this way. Now we'll read a, a little bit about the origin of this, of this law. Go ahead. On four occasions, a person must thank God for his goodness. One, after crossing the ocean and reaching his destination. If somebody crosses the ocean, the olden days you'd go by boat. Even today, when you fly overseas and you come to Israel, you say the blessing, you say the prayer. You say it in front of the Torah. Could it be for any travel? Any travel. doesn't make a difference what the travel is. I mean, not even if it's not overseas, or is it only overseas? Only overseas. Okay. Yeah. You're not saying... My wife was always saying this prayer when we started to travel. travel, before the travel. There is a prayer for the travelers. That's a different prayer. That you do every time when you travel, when you travel out of the city. Right. But uh, this, is a, this is a prayer after you traveled and you survived. Then you say thank you for surviving, so to speak. That's number one, the second one. Number two, after crossing the desert or any other dangerous road and reaching his destination... Included in this rule is also one who was saved from, an, from any other peril, such as when a wall caved in on him, or an ox lunged at him, ready to gore him, or robbers attacked him on the road, or thieves attacked him at night, and he was saved from them. You see, not almost robbers came, almost thieves came. They came, and you survived. Then you say thank you. Is there a prayer for surviving Soviet Union? Yeah, yeah you have to say it every day. You're absolutely right. That's the second thing. Going, the people walk through the desert. Number three. Three, one who suffered from serious illness or injury, or he was confined to bed for at least three days due to an illness and his health was restored. Somebody who recovers from a serious illness, he should say the prayer. Absolutely. And number four. For one who was in prison, even if it was only because of money matters, and he was released. Because uh, you come out of prison, especially when you're living in a country of the, 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 the environment is against Jews, you have to thank God a thousand times that you come out alive. A sign? A sign, and all the living shall thank you. Chaim, life is an acronym for the Hebrew term, terms for illness, suffering, sea, and desert. Yeah, it's a whole thing. The word Chaim stands for Chole. The Chet stands for the word Chole. Chole means a sick person. Yud stands for the word Isurim, means suffering. 
The second yud is yam. Yam stands for water. If you go, if you go, to, you go into the water, and midba, the mem, the last mem, the last letter of the word chaim stands for what midbar, which means desert. Now comes to the punchline. What? No, no, just the point. The point is you survived so, all the suffering no, and you're alive. You survive life, actually. That's kind of like your life is all, half of this at least, illness, suffering, and stuff. You know, it's like this is... <laughs> and you're alive. You have to thank God. There is all these four things so against the person. I mean, what, and he what, survives what, it. What's meant by a sign? I'll tell you why. The, the, one second. First of all, a sign means a, a code, almost like a, a way to remember it. That's what a sign means. The, the verse is, All the living shall thank you. All the people who are living, everybody who has, who has challenges should thank you. What are the four challenges that officially we have to thank God? These are the four. What now, what's the blessing? Yeah. What blessing is recited? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who bestows goodness upon the guilty, for he has bestowed goodness upon me. Exactly. So, I have a question. Yeah. In nowadays, <clears throat> like crossing the desert or a dangerous road, there's not really dangerous roads like there used to be when this was written. You are. Right. So, so, could this just then be anytime you travel? Like, Any, like that's, if you're in your car and you're no, like no, we're no. driving to, across the country. I'll tell you, there is laws, and the law says that if it's traveling across the coast, it is not dangerous necessarily. When we fly overseas, because it's considered a dangerous road, we are, uh, we are saying the prayer. Okay, so this literally is just referring to dangerous situations. Yes, yes, not yes. Not just travel in yes. general. The Sephardi Jews have a custom that every... every kind of traveling from out of the city, they say this prayer. But Ashkenazi Jews say it only when you really deserve it. Okay. Yeah, only from when you survive something terrible. Okay. But again, like if you survived a car accident, you say it. If you survived an almost car accident, you don't say it. So like yesterday I was on the freeway and I got a flat tire. And I was able to, but that did. Oh my gosh, what's that bus going? 60 miles an hour. It? No, actually, I called a friend who literally. If you was, get a flat tire on the highway and you, it was very hard to stop, I wouldn't say a prayer for this. <laughs> but, okay. I would just well, I make know, sure. I was, actually, I was in the middle lane when it happened. Right. So I had to that's pull a, over. That's what I'm saying. Could be. I mean, if it was, it was a very I dangerous. Don't I don't know. But just to be from a re that you were in, God forbid, in somebody who is involved in a car accident and survived it. Close calls don't count. I was shaking Oh my gosh. All right. Here comes the question from the Rebbe. Why be negative? Yeah. Why be negative? Isn't that so nice? The text of the Hagamel? Agomel. Agomel is the name of the blessing. We call it the Agomel blessing. Agomel means the one who, 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 who bestowed upon me, who gave me, who gave me something I don't deserve if you want. The text of the Agomel blessing has a surprising feature that isn't found in any other blessing. Blessed are you who bestows goodness upon the guilty, for he has bestowed goodness upon me. It seems reasonable that the only focus of the blessing should be the specific kindness that we received from God. If so, the text of the blessing should read, Blessed are you who bestowed goodness upon me. Why must we mention our own deficiencies and say that God bestows goodness upon the guilty? Yeah, why, why sticking the guilty? Why reminding God that I'm guilty? Because we're not. Yeah, but when you eat bread, you don't say, Thank you, God, for giving me bread, even I'm guilty. Any, we thank God so many times a day, so many different blessings. You know, before we drink water, we have to say, we say, we say a blessing. Before, before we benefit from life, we have to say a blessing. If not, it's considered stealing from God the food. Thank you for the coffee. Yeah, thank you for the coffee, but the, yeah, there, is a, there is a specific blessing for it. Is there a, I'm going to sure. eat it because I need to say it every single day. <laughs> you bet. That the accident was brought upon you by God to uh, kind of wake you up, remind you about something? Oh, that's one way to look at it. That's one way to look at it. Well, that's where we're going with this. We'll see. Oh, there is maybe something more positive. 
Okay, um, source number two. Source number two. Yeah. And Jacob said... Oh now God. we're going to read something from the Parsha of the week. I'm sorry. <laughs> now we're going to the Parsha of this week. That's why we learn it. Because it's in the Parsha of this week. Jacob, we are learning the coming Parsha, Vaishlach. Jacob is coming back from Haran. Yesterday we read about Jacob being 22 years in Haran, getting married to four wives, having 12 children, 11 boys at one goal, is on the way back. He comes back and he sends messengers to Esau, right? To find out if Esau, Esau was angry with him. Right? Esau was angry with him? Uh, yes. Esau was angry with him because he stole the blessing. Mm -hmm. He wants to know if Esau is still angry or not. And he sends messengers to find out, to ask his brother, are you still angry with me or not? It was, you know, some, some commentary say it wasn't such a smart move. What are you, be, what are you getting business? What are you waking him up? He's there. It doesn't bother you. Go, do your business. It will be a problem. You'll deal with it. It's like sometimes people are looking for Taurus. They're looking to in Israel. They're looking to make peace with people who, don't want, who are not fighting with them. Then the, the same thing, in any case, the messengers came back and said, Aha, he saw, he didn't forget anything. He heard you coming. He's coming to meet you with 400, with an army of 400 people. He hired 400 fighters and he's coming to attack you. Jacob was very scared. He did three things. He decided to send a, a gift to, to his brother Esau to please him with ransom. Mm -hmm. He basically gave him probably his all, his everything that he had. He sent it to him. With his workers, with his uh, servant, they should go in front of him and they should bring him coats and it's a whole, all the sheep and uh, cattle that he had, everything. Very expensive gift. Then he did another thing. He divided the all, his whole entourage into two camps. One was, in one camp was the family. In the other camp was his servant, his maidservant, his, uh, his uh, cattle, everything else, whatever it was he has on the other side. And then he made a prayer. He physically prepared for the meeting of he tried something peaceful to give him a gift. He was ready for war. And then he remembered Then, after all, you have to do what you can do. In a, you have to make a vessel. You cannot just stay on the couch and rely on God. God, help me. You have to do what you can do. But then he remembered that he has to turn to God for a prayer. Now we're going to read about Jacob's prayer. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Oh and Jacob said. And Jacob said, oh, God of my father. Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your land and to your birthplace, and I will do good for, to you. He started his prayer just like we start every Amida. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, right? He was Jacob. He says, God of Abraham and God of Isaac, my father Isaac. And then he mentions what God told him. The Lord who said to me, in last week's, but yesterday we read, how God comes to Jacob in his dream and he tells him, it's time to go back home. Then mm -hmm. he says to God, God, you told me to come back home. That was in the introduction. Then he said something more, uh, that's what you're going to concentrate. I have. I have become unworthy from all the kindness and from all the truth that you have rendered your servant. For with my staff, I crossed the Jordan River and now I have become two camps prepared for battle. He said like this, I have become katonti. Here is the word, katonti. Katonti means I'm small. I became small. I became small from all the kindness. And little, the day the translated is unworthy. From all your kindness and all your, the, of the, and the truth, and from the truth that you bestow upon your servant. Because when I went to Haran, the only thing I had was my staff. When I came back, I have two camps. One camp for my family, one camp of my servant. I'm so big, I'm so successful. In these 22 years, Jacob left to Haran. He had nothing. He was penniless. He came back. He says, God, God, you gave me so many miracles, so many blessings. I'm unworthy for all your blessings, for all your kindness. Now, now deliver me from the 
and of my brother Esau, for I am afraid of him, lest he come and strike me, my wife with children. Here it says to be written, now deliver me from my end of from the end of my brother, from the end of Esau. Correct, please. From the end of Esau. I, 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 have a, uh, I have a question. One second. From the end of Esau. Because I'm afraid he's going to beat me up, to strike me, and my wife and my children. It's not his brother? My brother? For my end of my brother? My brother Esau. So no. Actually, it says last. I mean, it probably lets, right? Let's he, uh, last, last he come. Oh, last he come and strike me. Okay. Yeah, if yeah, last he come. So what's yes. wrong with my brother? Because in the text it's written, oh, 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 oh. That's why I'm telling you that. It's a whole discussion about that. That's why I'm saying. And what does it mean, my wife with children? And my wife and, and my children. children? Yeah, but that's written in, su in such a way. That's the way it's written. Okay. So what if yeah. he says wife in like singles? So he has four wives now. So just because Rachel was... Amal Bonim, the more translation would be a mother and her children. I don't know why it's translated wife. should be a mother and children. Amal Bonim. Corrected. I think that's the way it should be written. Strike says he mother. strike the mother and the children. Mothers. I mean, all the mother was talking mother. in. In a prayer can be poetry. Yeah. Then here is the here is the prayer that they, that uh, Jacob said. Now we'll go to Rashi's commentary. Avia, you want to continue? I have become unworthy. My merits have diminished because of the kindness and truth that you have done to me. Therefore, I fear lest I have become sullied with sin since the time you promised you will be the good, you will be good to me, and it will cause me to be delivered into Esau's hands. You see, the problem here with this prayer. Before we continue, why is he praying? God told them go back to Israel. God promised them go back to Israel. God already told them when he left from Israel. The beginning of yesterday's parsha, in the dream, God told them, I will bring you, I'll take you back, I will protect you, right? Yeah, what happened? And then he told them, and before he left back to, to, from Haran to Israel, God tells them again, go back, everything will be good. Why is, was, was he afraid so much? The trash is trying to explain why is he afraid. He says, yeah, you promised me you'll give me good, you protect me. But you gave me so many kindness, so many miracles, so many blessings that I'm afraid I run out, my credit card run out. I lost my credit. I spent all my credit. Why is he calling that sin then? One second, reading Rashi. My merit have diminished because of the kindness and truth that you have done upon me. Therefore, I feel lost. I've become uh, sold with the, sin, with the sins of uh, that. Because every person is doing some sins. And he says, I don't know if I deserve more. I used all my, my, all my credit cards. I used all the, you promised me blessing. I would say I agree with him. Four wives, credit cards should be, you know, empty. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there was no credit cards then. You said credit cards. <laughs> no, at that time. My there was... enough to drain your credit cards. Oh, exactly. <laughs> You know, huh? That's what I'm saying. An expert. But here, here is what, here comes what this line, katonti, means I became small. And the, when the, you know, there is, this month, we're having a very big Chabad celebration. Not Chabad of Solon, Chabad in general. Chabad in the world. It's called the 19th of Kislev. It's in nine days from today. Today is also a celebration, but in nine days will be the big celebration. Today is a celebration because the second Chabad Rebbe was released from jail in, in, by the Tsar. That was today, many years ago. Um, 200 years ago, probably. Um, the, but in nine days from now will be the 90th of Kislev is the day of the first Chabad Rebbe being released from jail. Now, what happened there? It was, that was in 1798. When the, when the Baal Shem Tov was the founder of the Hasidic movement. And he came and introduced a new way of looking at people and Jews. Until then, it was the scholars, 
the very religious, and then everybody else. And the more of a scholar you are, the closer you are to God. If you're farther away, if you're not a scholar, you're nothing. You're, you're treated like dirt. Then the scholars went around like the elite unit of or the elite of, of the of the Jewish society. And the re- most of the Jews felt very lost, especially 300 years ago in Russia, in Poland. The poverty was unbelievable. It was so bad. Jews felt so down. Came the Baal Shem Tov and started to speak a different language. He said, every Jew is a, the only child by God. And prayers belongs to everyone. Just pray to God and Hashem will help you. God appreciates every sincere prayer. Even if you don't know the word, they just turn to God and says, God, help me. Your sincerity, your connection to God is very important to God. And it turned around the world. And within a few generations, they swept Eastern Europe. But many people didn't like it. The elite didn't like it. The establishment, the establishment of, of, of the, the federations of that time, they were not like the federations today, but at that time, there was federations too. They were only the communities, they were controlling everything, religious Jews. They didn't like some, some Hasidic rabbis coming and creating and changing the order of the day, the order of society. Then eventually, it was the Baal Shem Tov, then his disciple was the Magid of Mezrich. The preacher of Mezrich, he was called, he was, his name was Dovber. And he, and he took over and he spread the, 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 the message of the Baal Shem Tov even wider. And one of his disciples was the first Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi. He wrote the book Tanya, that's philosophy of Chabad. And he, he, was, he started the Chabad movement. What's unique about the Chabad movement different than any, the rest of the Hasidic movement? Chabad stands for three words, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It means to say, it's not enough. The Baal Shem Tov was more speaking about joy and sincerity and love to God. And the Alter Rebbe said, you need, to, you need to work on your intellectual faculties. You need to understand why you, God is asking you to do something. When you understand why you do a mitzvah, your excitement is much bigger and it's much more, it will hold for longer. If you just, it's all emotions that today in a good mood, tomorrow you're in a bad mood, tomorrow you want, you understand it's not so... It's not so strong with you. When you understand and you, uh, you identify with the message much stronger, you have a strong, much stronger backbone to survive as a Jew. And history proved that in, during the 90 years of communism, the only one who survived in Russia as religious Jews were Chabad. The rest of them, it was when you don't have this commitment, this understanding, the relation, a strong relationship with God, anything that moves a little in the wrong direction, you've... You fall off. Then re- religious Jews who wanted to be religious run away from Russia, or they became not religious. And I mean, before communism, most of the Jews in Russia were religious Jews, more or less, a little less, a little more, but they were traditional. After 90 years of communism, <laughs> very little was left. Then, uh, then the Alter Rebbe, they were so much against the establishment they were fighting him so badly, they finally informed them to the government. They, 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 they reported him to say that, he's, that he's, um, he, he's trying to start a revolution against the Tsar, a, a, a rebellion. The Tsar was a paranoid man to begin with, and it didn't take much. Before long, he was arrested. He was 53 days in jail where he got interrog- interrogated by the best interrogators, and they tried to find out, and he had to explain them what is Hasidus. He had to explain them the most delicate concepts in, in, in Kabbalah, in Hasidus. Mm-hmm. And he wrote it, and they had to translate it. It was a whole nightmare. But after 53 days, a big miracle took place, and he was released from jail. Not in eventually, not only was released from jail, the government legitimized the Hasidic movement. What the, Jew, what the religious dude didn't want to do, the goyim did. The goyim said, Chabad is good. No problem. They can open their own shoes. They can open. They legit. The world legitimized Chabad against the will of the elite of the Orthodox Jews, of the, of the biggest scholars. Where? The Tsar took the side of the Alter Rebbe, basically. Were the communists in uh, Russia, were they throwing Christians in jail too? Or only yeah, Jews? yeah, they were throwing everybody, but not... They, but they, the main fight was against Judaism. 
but they were against anybody. But they know, everybody knows who carries the belief of God, who, is the, who carries the message of Abraham, the Jews. Uh, communist main fight was against Judaism? Absolutely. Right. <laughs> it's, it's more about against religion. They, I against mean, religion. Uh, Karl Marx said uh, that religion is opium, it's opium for the for the masses. So, exactly. Yeah, they so fought I any religion. They, I don't know. Did you know Christian it, people? And they, yeah, actually, oh, when I was in school, uh, I was probably like in I don't know sixth grade. We had a family that uh, they had several children, and they actually went to church. So the 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 children who were there, they, so they assembled the whole school in a big auditorium and said, okay, there is this family, they go to church. So you can answer their questions like regarding subjects, like math, whatever, but you're not allowed to become friends with them. So, so I, I, even I, in my time. Okay. Honestly, yeah, but it was like Okay, the, okay, the I'll tell started, you. I don't think that it was, you probably talking about base that some, uh, of your grandfathers were in jail for, but I don't think their main find was against Judaism. I think they were just. You ever read of you ever read of the of the if sectia? The Jewish. Yevrei sectia. In the. Oh, yeah, these good and Shomas, they were busy destroying every shred of Judaism. They were the worst. But here I'll tell you, you're mentioning about a Christian story. Jews were there, they, probably 90% of the Jews were sure. in this section. Sure, only Jews. They say don't be friends with you because you're Jewish? No, no, no. No, with the Christians. Well, with us, like, I mean, I wasn't, we were not going it to was Jew or anything. Oh, I see. So okay. I was Jewish, but, uh, was okay, Jewish. I have to tell you something. Two days ago, three days ago, my aunt passed away. She's 70 years old. My grandfather did not send his kids to school on Saturday. In, in Russia, until eighth grade, you was low. You had to go to school six days a week. Yeah. Every Saturday, he didn't, Shabbos, he, didn't want, he didn't send the kids to school. Then it was a letter in the newspaper from teachers and from the principal that the Hazan children are a bad influence on the school. In the newspaper, in Pravda, in the locals, uh, in Moscow, was a letter to the editor. No, that's not the newspaper writing. It's a letter to the editor. And then the, why the Chabad, the Chazan children, the four kids who are not going to school on Saturdays. And Saturday is the day that the kids are cleaning the schools, right? And they are not coming to clean. They are, they are lazy. They are parasites. And they, and they are a bad influence on the school. And guess what? It was a town hall meeting about it. And they all came in town hall and they all got up to speak against my grandfather. And they threatened him that if he will not send his kids to school, they will take him away for, to an institution where they re-educate you. Like today in China, mm -hmm. the same thing was communism. They, took, they said, they'll put you in jail and we'll take your kids to a re-education center. And my aunt, therefore my, my grandfather saw he has to do something. He decided every week, every Saturday, one of the four will go to school. That this end went to school the first Shabbos. Show him, she comes. The teacher tells her, you come up, you answer a question on the chalkboard for a, a math question. She says, I, I know the answer, I'll give you the answer. She was a very good student, but I will not write. You're not allowed to write. You have to write. You have to do like everybody. And started all fighting, she's crying. Meanwhile, the principal, he came also to check what's going on. He walks in, he says, what's going on? They tell him there is a, she finally, on Hazan girl showed up, but she doesn't want to write. And it's an argument and fighting and all, the class is screaming. In the middle shows up the mayor, because he was also involved in this business. He got, he says, you know what? He came over, he took the truck, he said, you give me the answer. He wrote down the answer, and he told the teacher, leave her alone, as long as she's here. That was with my, my mother was already older. She didn't have to go to school, but she was after eighth grade. But these girls and the boys, every week somebody had to go to school. They came without, um, you're not allowed to carry, but they sat in the, in the school, in the class, and they listened. And that was in Moscow in 1963, 64, 65, 66. If my grandfather wouldn't get a permit to leave Russia, they would take away from him the kids. One, one didn't know from the other, but they threatened him. It was, it was on the edge of taking away from the kids from him. I, I understand, but this was very convenient. Uh, uh, but 
for uh, a regime as it is, much, much more problem was if uh, Christians there will kind of just will revive this one because it's bigger, bigger. Absolutely, because for this way they will show the government or the regime is not God, which kind of that they want to show. I'll because tell you. It was much more. I can know. I can tell you from the Chabad Hasidim. In Chabad was a saying in Russia that. If you didn't, I, to be a, a year in jail for spreading Judaism is an obligation. Two years is optional. Three years, you show off. <laughs> That's how much every, there is almost a club of all the Chabad families where the grandparents went to jail. It's almost like a badge of honor. Oh, my grandfather was in jail. Your grandfather was not in jail. Eh, you don't count you. You don't exist. Then... I, I'm sure they were fighting Christianity, but they destroyed all the shuls. They closed down all the shuls. They left in the, only the two big cities. They left one shul. They made all the shuls. They turned it into um, party event places and, and factories, everything. They took everything away. And actually, it's probably destroyed by itself because people were so afraid to go and to show. No, no, no. They closed down the shuls. I, sent you, I saw a video not long ago. It was on our video. A, a ceremony or they closed down the shul with hundreds of people standing outside. And you look in the faces, some people are happy and some people standing there like dying. They had to be there, but, and you see how they take off the, the I think the Magenda Vid or something from the top. Uh, I remember to see it a, a year ago. I'll find it, I'll send it to you. What? They closed, no, they, I have to read my grandfather's book. They didn't wait for the shoes to fall down. No, they came and they closed all the shoes. And the Jewish kids did it. Now they're going, let us say That's true, my, my, my grandparents told me. Told you what? Tell yeah, me. Re repurpose the school for shul for um, a party center. Absolutely. Youth party center. They didn't wait for the Jews to, for the shuls to fall apart. No, they closed every shul. They did it themselves. What years and how, for how long was your dad in uh, jail? My dad was in 1948, I think, 47, until 1953. It was six years and three months. So he probably was Stalin when Stalin died. died he probably yeah, yeah. After Stalin died, he was released. Yes, that's exactly what happened. Yes. Oh, so there was Stalin during Stalin. Yeah, Stalin, the, the son of the nations. But in any case, so so, so the, with, with the that's how they call them, son of the nations. Something you never heard the expression, like is the shining of the nations. Is that something? Father of the nations. Father of the nations. Maybe not the son. Ah, uh, not the son. In I remember they called them the Shemesh Amim. Oh, go ahead. So by the time that happened in Russia. There, the, was there still this polarization between the elite Jews and the... It was already Jews? better, but most of the Orthodox Jews ran away right in the beginning of the communist revolution. Chabad, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, made a, cold, a conscious decision not to leave. Because he said, what will be with most of the Jews? I can run away. But the Jews here will be left with no teachers, with no moyers, with no sheikhets, with no rabbis, with no anything. So he stayed with the flock. The, exactly. In my, any my, case, huh? Just, my, my grandparents fled in uh, Lithuania, I think, all four of them, like 1911 or something. Yeah, before. Was that, was that the Bolsheviks? What, what it, it was before no, the Bolsheviks. No, no, no. But there were pogroms. Yeah, that was the pogroms. There were a lot of prosecutions back then. Yeah. So right 1905, around that time. there were yeah. huge pogroms. Oh, pro was, was it? It's like when, uh, you know, just mob, like Russian mob oh. killed and, and oh, robbed. So they were able to get away. That's about when they got yeah, away. Yeah. Yeah, in any case, mm -hmm. when the Alter Rebbe came out from jail after 53 days, that was the Tsar before communism. That has nothing with communism. By the way, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe was arrested by the communists in 1927. Mm -hmm. But here, talking about in 1798, during the Tsar, when he came out, the Hasidim were in the seventh heaven. You know, they were celebrating and, aha, we won this fight. Instead, he wrote a letter. And he wrote how they should handle this miracle. Let's read this. That's what I wanted to read. The closer, the lesser. Please. The deeper meaning in this passage was explained by Alter Rebbe in the letter he wrote following his release from prison when he experienced the statement of <clears throat> Psalms. He redeemed my soul in peace, which begins with this very passage. He explains that Jacob felt unworthy of all the kindness and the truth because of the kindness and truth. 
he felt unworthy of salvation for, uh, precisely because he had experienced so much of God's kindness. Okay. The Alter Rebbe wrote a letter to all his chassidim when he came out from jail. And he quoted from the Pasha of that week. He came out, it was right there. That he writes the same words that Jacob said when he, when he survived, when he, when he was afraid of Esau. He writes the same word. He says, I, I, God gave me so many blessings and I feel small and worthy from all the blessings. But he gave to this world a new and deeper meaning. Go ahead. The Alter Rebbe. Why did Jacob feel small? Because he had crossed the Jordan to Haran with only a stick in his hand. And now he was returning with two camps. That ex- uh, extensive kindness towards him made him feel small. Specifically because he fell so close to God. Okay. He says something very revolutionary of the meaning of small. Before we learned what Rashi said, you run out of, of the credit. You used all your credit. You, you made, you, yeah, you had, you, you're a good man. God promised you, but so many miracles. One day God says, enough. Who says God is going to give you more? Here he says, no, the kindness made me small. What does this mean? Let's see if he's explaining that here. So I'll tell you. He's being annulled. What? It's like he's being annulled. He's being made diminutive. He's, he, 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 he's so small next to the, 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 the generosity and greatness of God. And he feels he's disappearing. So vice versa. Maybe he got too much kindness and nothing left. Like every person has so much uh, to No, be- no. That was the regular explanation. That was the regular explanation from Rashi. He said, it's deeper than that. The more kindness you get from God, you feel small. For example, for example, what does this mean? Let's say somebody, you came from a different country. Somebody helped you once. You thank him again. He helps you again. You're taking him again. He helps you more. He helps you more. What is this? Makes you feel uncomfortable. Why you feel uncomfortable? But you don't have a way to give. You shrink. You feel so small. You cannot help him. You cannot give him back. Exactly. You want to thank him. And how much can you thank him? How many times can you say this? Not, he, doesn't want, he doesn't want anything. He doesn't expect anything. He doesn't want you even to say thank you to him. He gives you. But the more he gives you, the more he elevates you to him, the more he embraces you, words will never be enough. The Rebbe once, what? The Rebbe once said, he wanted, it was a guy in 770 who helped his father when he was very sick. In, he was in Almata. Mm-hmm. And he was sick and there was nobody there. It was, in, it was in 1943. It was terrible. 1944. And he was there to help him there. Then the Rebbe once said, by every time the Rebbe used to thank him by a man. It was the Yorkshire by a forbringing. One time the Rebbe said, I don't even want to finish thanking him. I want to continue to pay. You understand what I never, I don't want to give him, to thank him and be done with him. Pay him off and finish. I want to continue. When a person is doing you a favor, embraces you, brings you closer to you, and a person who loses, who lost everything, is a simple guy, and then a very important person embraces him, it makes him feel very small. That's what they said, katonti. Not I'm small because I'm afraid, not I'm unworthy because I'm afraid I run out my credit. I shrinked. That's what it is. Let's read it. I just can I bring. Go ahead, please, please. So in 1943, uh, 1944, in Almaty, my grandparents moved from Moldova because German army was, you know, they, so they moved a little bit further to Caucasus. So in Almaty, the same thing. My, my grandfather went to war, and my grandma was left with a with a with a son, but she she has nothing, right, and. Um, felt extremely uncomfortable because she was like a charity case. People around her was always giving her food, a way to survive. So um, as soon as um, Moldova was liberated from Germany, um, she went back. She almost died in the process, but that feeling of small and helplessness. She could not let. She, she couldn't just live like that. 
she couldn't, you know, that sometimes it pushes people to do extreme things. Like she sent, you know, her son died on the way back um, from typhus and all that. She barely survived. She lost a lot of her teeth on the way because she had no food. Um, the, the trip took a lot longer than it should have. Um, but extreme measures. Sometimes people go to extreme measures. Yeah, and getting small, I'll give you an example. When you, you stay from far, you see an airplane from far. The airplane is small and you're big. As you're getting closer, you get, big, you get smaller. And, the, and as the airplane gets bigger, you get smaller, right? The more God brings you closer to him, the more you feel how small I am. When I'm far from God, I'm, I'm the biggest chokhem in town. When I don't learn anything, I know I know everything. I think I know everything. Right? Everyone gives opinions about scientists, science, everything. About religion, about everything. The more I learn, the, le the, more, the more I get closer, the more I realize how much I don't know. And that's, that's what, that's, I get small. I shrink, I get smaller. That's what it means. What the, that's what it's all about. Katan means small. Yeah. How you say small in the Russian? Malinki. Oh, I see, I remember a word. <coughs> I'm getting there. I'm remembering words more and more. Okay, then. Where the are you? He is explained at length in Hasidic uh, discourses in which the matter is applied to our own service of God. In the proof, it is quite simple. When an ordinary person, especially an undignified person, a most lowly human being, dirty and lame and filth, as described in Tanya, is welcomed and showed kindness by the king of all kings, God himself, in all his glory, the vastness of the disparity gives rise to intense feeling of humanity and unworthiness in the individual to whom the king has shown kindness. When God gives me, uh, gives me blessings, is kind to me, <coughs> What, is, what actually is happening is embracing me. He brings me, he's elevating me to him. He brings me closer to him. The closer I am to God, the more I feel how small I am. And that makes me a sense of shrinking, of becoming humble, of becoming unworthy. That's the experience that a person, a, a real a spiritual man has. And that's what Jacob said. Jacob didn't say, oh, I'm afraid I run out my credit card. He, was a, he said, I don't feel deserving. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel, I'm so small. Why should you even help me? That's, what he, that's how he felt. You know, sometimes, you know, when you, as you, you, you wear nice clothing, and you, like, I'll give you a better example. Forget about the clothing. You know, everyone in, let's say somebody in his, class, in his classroom in Solon is the best student. Then you send him to uh, Ivy League uh, college. He comes there and he discovers that he's not such a big schochem. Everybody, they're all geniuses. And suddenly he gets closer, he gets elevated. Shht. The whole ego is shrinking. It's not a big hope. There's geniuses running around there. The whole like him, yeah. Yo, you're the best. We're all the best, you know. And people are much smarter. Then when you are low, you think you feel of yourself. As you're getting higher, elevated, you wear clothing. You think you're wearing the nicest clothing. Then you come up into a big event where people wear the most expensive suits. And, uh, and you look a little dirty. Huh? You, so you look at yourself. So well, five minutes ago, I felt great. It's the same thing with uh, like football, these high school superstars. Then they get to Ohio State or Michigan or what, and they're, or, you know, they're no, they're, they're, they're in a big pond. And they're, right, and they're not no more. They're not superstars anymore. You know? Exactly. <laughs> That's why people like to be a big fish in a small pot. And then, uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for bringing the example. You see, we need that example from sports. If not, it wouldn't work. Oh, yeah. Forgiveness, <laughs> forgiveness in the Amidah. This also explains the passage we recite in Amidah. Forgive us for we have sinned. Pardon us for we have transgressed. A famous question is asked. Why isn't the prayer for forgiveness 
situated at the beginning of the service. Okay, there is, you know, during the Amidah, during the week, there is a prayer, it's called Slachlan Ovinu Kichotanu, we knock on our, on our uh, art. We ask for forgiveness in the middle of the Amidah. One of the, of the blessings is asking for forgiveness. Then the question is, you're praying a half, a day, a half hour, then you're asking for forgiveness. Why you don't walk in, you say, I'm sorry, you know, the famous joke that uh, you advise a husband when you get married. Every morning you wake up, say, I'm sorry. <laughs> Before you start the day, that's how you start. Then everything will be good. Then why we don't do this? We walk into shul, we turn to God, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I know I was bad, I was bad. Now, okay, let's start praying, let's talk. Why are you waiting until the Amidah? That's a question. It would seem appropriate to request forgiveness before approaching the, the king and to only then enter the king's chamber to present our prayers. Instead, we follow the uh, opposite over. We first recite Pesuki, um, Dezima. It's a part of the prayers. The opening uh, chapters. Of thanks. And followed by a blessing of Shema. 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 I mean, the Shema. And the Shema itself. And finally, we reach the Amida prayer when we stand before God silently while serving uh, servants before a master in a total reverence. And then we suddenly remember that we have sins, sin for which we need to repent and request God's forgiveness. The question is, you say thank you to God, you are in Shema, Shema is, I love, what is the Shema? What's written in the Shema? In the Shema it's written, you should love your God with all your heart. You love God, then the Amida, it's you standing in front of God, complete nullification. Then you remember, oh, by the way, God, I'm sorry for what I did yesterday. No, it's not the time. Do it in the beginning. The question is, why is the prayer for forgiveness in the middle of the Amidah so late in the prayers? That's the question. What's the answer? Wait. What's the answer? He wants the answer already. There shouldn't be a question mark there. Period. No, no, it's a question mark. It should be. It should be a question mark. But it's not phrased as a question. I know what the phrase, but it's a question. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, it's a big, big statement with a question mark at the end. Okay, you want to continue? Sure. Instead of correcting the wall? Um, a bird's the eye explanation. From bird's eye view. Uh, the explanation. There are certain actions which, before standing before God during the Amida, don't seem to be sins or transgressions. A person's path is straight in his own eyes. But when one enters the king's palace and stands as a servant before his master, he suddenly realizes that those matters were an act of disrespect to God, being that his presence fills the entire heavens and earth. Those deeds which, seems, which, seem, which seem straight and not illogically suddenly seem different during those moments before the king, and he realizes that he needs to request forgiveness for those sins and transgressions. Okay, you understand what he's saying? And there is best example is like this. You raised child, you, a child gave his parents hell. It was very difficult. Some children are difficult, give their parents a lot of sores. <laughs> and they always think, my father didn't do good enough for me, my mother was not loving me, they're complaining from day all day and all night. Then Hashem helps them, and they get a child who is giving them the same thing. But what they, exactly what they deserve, what they did to the mother, to the parents, they get a child, and only then they start to say, yeah, it's because sometimes. How <laughs> was that bad? <laughs> then, then, then what is happening then? Then he realizes, he says, I can't believe that's what they did to my parents. And then even he apologized before that when he was 20, he came one time to his parents and says, I'm so sorry that I did it to you. He comes in his 40, when he's 15, he has children, and he says to his parents, I can't believe I did it to you. And sometimes if your parents passed away, he goes to the grave and says, I'm so sorry, I can't believe I did it to you. Now I know what it feels. Then the more he has the same experience, the more he starts to appreciate, the more he's being elevated. He, has, he can appreciate what he did wrong. The same thing is with God. Some things before the prayers, I didn't do anything wrong. 
Mas já se desvolta. Essa história do pai, e eu get closer to God. And I really get closer to God. I say, I can't believe I did it. The, a better example is about a couple. A couple, uh, usually the husband, is not nice to his wife. Let's take for example, right? Only for example. And then he apologizes. Then years pass, and you see how his wife is so helpful for him and takes care of him, and God forbid if he got sick or something. And he, think, and he looks, he lays in bed and he, think, he reflects on the early years how he was not nice and not considerate to his wife. And only then he understands how bad he was, how dear he did such a thing. And he apologizes again and again and again. Because they became closer, became, because they lived together for so many years and they care for each other, only then he can appreciate how bad it was what two days ago didn't look so bad. Two years ago it looked normal. Why not? I did it. I want it. That's what is well, happening. The problem is men usually don't remember anything after two days. That's why they have the wife to remind them. <laughs> and, and they do. For the and they real, do. And they do. Right. Yeah, yeah, they forgive, but don't forget. We just, we, we're not nagging, we're just reminding you. Exactly. Just, uh, just <laughs> reminding. <laughs> just sitting you down. How many times does this How many times are there? <laughs> and they're never getting tired to remind you. That's why it's a... I know somebody that his wife sits him down and she tells him everything from the day she met him. <laughs> or before. <laughs> now, I told them that it would be good for him when he knows what Yom Kippur is. He understands what, what, is the, what is the angel is doing in heaven. <laughs> How it looks like. Then, I don't like it when everything is fine and all of a sudden the memory comes back. <laughs> <laughs> That's what memory is all about, boy. The point is, we come to pray to, pray to God in the morning. I didn't do anything wrong. Only when I pray to God, I say the prayers of thanksgiving. And then I say the Shema. And I start to love God. And I come to a level that I love God, to a level of closeness of God, of the Amida. Only then I say to myself, I can't believe I did that. I'm sorry, God. I can't believe I wasted my time. Before it didn't look so bad, the wasting time. But now I'm so close to you. I have you with me and I still waste my time. Then all, this is things that happen only as the closer you get. That's what he's really saying. That's katonti. That, that means getting smaller, shrinking. That's what it's all about. Okay. Please continue. Yeah. Oh, basically, I'm sorry. Uh, Jacob's unworthiness. Mm -hmm. On the same note, the Elter Rabbi writes in his letter that the closer one feels to God, the more he should feel inadequate and unworthy. Therefore, Jacob felt very small in his own eyes to the extent that he felt like a sinner. In fact, in face value, this raises questions. If Jacob had transgressed God's will, he should have repented earlier, and he no doubt did so. Our forefathers are called chariots to the Almighty. All their days and all their actions were done in exact accordance with God's will. That means to say, first of all, if you felt you sinned, then, then, then do tshuva, repent. Number two, the forefathers were considered chariots of God. You know what chariots of God means? Somebody, like your car, is doing only the will of you. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not a big achievement for the car because it doesn't have his own will. But for a human being who has his own will, and he has his own way of thinking, and he has free choice, and he's still doing only what God wants, that's a huge achievement. They were so embodied with God that they instinctively did what God wants. Once, once of, one of the Chabad rabbis was in a, in a big uh, uh, meeting, convention of rabbis, that the government, the Tsarish government made to change rules in Jewish law. And it was a every, everything was a fight because there were modern Jews, there were liberal Jews, there were all kinds of Jews and the government. And, uh, and he said, no, I'm against it. But another great rabbi turned to him and said, Lubavitcher Rebbe, why are you against it? He says, I don't know, but I, I trained my body, my that if, 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 I, if God doesn't want it, I resent it. If I resent it, it's because God doesn't want it. I cannot tell you why, but that's what I feel. That, mean, that was a chariot. That he said if God was a if the forefathers were a chariot, continue. Um, if so, how could Jacob have been so sinful to make him unworthy of succumbing to worthy. Esau? To make him worthy of succumbing to Esau's attack. What does that mean? How do you become worthy of succumbing to Esau's attack? 
How can he say about himself that he did something so bad that he doesn't deserve that God to save him? That's a question. Mm-hmm. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is. I'm sure it's a translation. It's a translation, that's why. In Hebrew it makes sense. The Altar Rabbi therefore explains that being maybe, shown... Sorry, maybe like deserving? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Deserving should be uh, how uh, to make him... So how could Jacob w- deserving would be... That would be a better word, yeah. You want that word in there? Yeah, please. Okay. They will decide later. The editors will decide if they want to change, but yeah. Go ahead. The, um, the Alter Rabbi, I'm the sorry. The Alter Rabbi therefore explains that being shown so much kindness from God... In other words, being elevated to a higher spiritual plane, his actions, which didn't seem sinful in any form... We are going to do a lockdown now. Lockdown drill alert. Everyone stay inside your classrooms, lock doors, and wait for the all clear. Okay, go ahead, continue. I'm sorry. Don't worry. We have one more page. No, no. His actions, which didn't seem sinful in any form beforehand, suddenly seemed from a higher vantage point to be transgressions with serious implications. It means to say what looked like nothing, now it's suddenly a big thing. Now we we'll go to the last page. That's the answer. Now we're coming back to the answer. Why we say in the prayer that we say thank you to God for a miracle, we say you, gi- you made a miracle to somebody who is guilty. That's a qu- that was the original question. Go ahead. When we feel guilty, the above discussion will resolve the question why do we declare ourselves guilty in the blessing of thanksgiving despite not doing so in any other blessing which it recited? This is a blessing which we recite after God releases us from a bondage. In the words of the psalm, which is the source of this custom, from their difficult straits, he gives salvation, and therefore we thank God for his kindness and offer sacrifices of thanks. This Thanksgiving offering in the temple is the equivalent of the blessing recited today. When this takes place and we witness God's kindness and truth... You know what, will give Avia a chance to read. Go ahead, Avia. Avia, read the last paragraph. When this takes place and we witness God's kindness and truth, we begin to feel unworthy. A person will begin to come... What is that? Contemplate. <laughs> what is contemplate? Think about think it. About think about it. Uh, contemplate his condition. Elements of his life which seemed it? Seemed it? Seemed. Seemed. Seemed satisfactory at a previous time will no longer seem. So. Seems so. Oh, seems so. In a difficult. Despite. Oh my God. Despite. <laughs> Despite the fact that the person remains in the physical reality, the experience of witnessing God's kindness elevates him to a higher spiritual plane. God's presence is more perce- perceivable. What does that mean? Like you perceive, like feel, feel. You, know, you more um, perceived, feel, Go ahead, continue. Okay, and from that perspective, those elements of his life now seem like sins, and he. F- now feels that he is worthy and unworthy unworthy and culpable culpable, culpable. what's culpable responsible. Respon- no culpable is responsible yeah. 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 yeah you got all the others well I'm sorry it means to say like this only when God makes you a miracle you feel guilty you feel closer and because you feel closer you feel so high you, and then you realize that what the, the regular behavior was not right that what I thought is correct is not correct anymore. And it's not, uh, that's, that the message is really, we look at God, we look, the closer we get to God, the more we feel unworthy. It's like, humble. It's like when you're painting a picture or looking all at a clear. picture. All clear, all clear. When you look at a close-up of it, you don't see, like you only see a little portion of it and it looks good. And then you kind of back yourself away from it and you look at it and you go, oh, there's where all the mistakes are. And then you... You're right. The the more you see the bigger picture, the more more you're close to somebody, the more you can appreciate them and the more you can see where where I didn't understand, where I failed. And that's why... You know, the Rebbe once told somebody, 
then you, love is not when you get married. When you get married, it's attraction. Mm-hmm. Love is the longer you live together, the more you're in love. The more you get closer, the more you spend time together. That brings you closer and closer and closer. And that's why many years later, you are much more in love than the day you get married. You cannot see each other without each You cannot see yourself without each other. That's the uh, scene from the Lord of the Rift. Yes, do you love me? Exactly, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you all for coming.